Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. For our meditation on this communion Sunday, as you will recall that one of the things we have been doing is looking at the love of God during the communion services, and we come to what I am calling this morning the ability of divine love, the ability of divine love. And we want to read two texts this morning. One will tell about the fact of divine love, and the other will tell about the possibilities of divine love. Our chief text, however, is John chapter 4, and we will begin to read at verse 18. John 4, 18. The Word of God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love, and some translations say we love him. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love, has, love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And Father, for these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus made an incredible statement. It is one that if, if were to be believed today, I suggest that this place would be full of people. Listen to what he says. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. This, of course, he's talking about love, but he's obviously not talking about human love. 1 John 4.12 says this, No one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God lives in us. The proof of the existence and the proof of the presence of God is the demonstration and the expression of his love. We'll look at that more closely in a minute. The love spoken here is not human love. It, it is not phileo. It is not eros, the sensual love. It is agape, something that comes from outside this world belonging to God. And John tells us something about it in verse 18. He talks about the fact that love is impenetrable. That love has a capacity that, that, that nothing else has. Listen to how he puts it in verse 18. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, if human love is not perfect, there's only one love that is. And that is the love of God. But I want you to see what the love of God has energy to do. First of all, it tells us that God's love is perfect. Perfect. When we say that God's love is perfect, this is what it means. That there is nothing in the love of God that needs to be developed. Nothing deficient in it. It doesn't mature to become something else. It it doesn't grow. God's love exists because God exists. It is an unchanging energy. It is able to stand whatever challenges it. Listen to what it says. Perfect love casts out fear. Now theologians have a, a wonderful time with this. Because they want to say, is it our love for God or God's love in us? Well, we have already said that there's only one love that is perfect. That's God's love. So in God's love is nothing that can be intimidated by those who deny it, those who refuse it, those who misuse it. His love is perfect. It is complete. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't grow with days and years and months. The love of God is the love of God as the love of God is. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Nothing can prevent God from loving. His love is uncaused and unchanging. And what this love does, the text says, it casts out fears. It's it's a very interesting word that is used for casting out. Because when it says that perfect love casts out fear, it means it stands and it defeats fears. The fear that one day God might give up on me because of my failures. The fear that perhaps the devil will win the day and I will lose my salvation. God's love does not contain anything that can cause it to fail. It takes fear. Fear that intimidates. Fear that actually assaults those who are experiencing life's trials, whatever it might be. Perfect love, what the love of God does literally, is that it takes fear by this cuff of the neck and it tosses it away. That's what the word casted. Perfect love takes fear and casts it away so that there isn't anything in God's love that can be overcome by man, angels, or the devil himself. Perfect love. That's not your love. That's not my love. This love, my friends, is something that belongs to God and has been displayed for you and me by Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13, verse 1, 
it says this, having loved his own, your text may say, he loved them to the end. The word end there is the very same word for perfect. So, having loved his own, he loved them completely. Please listen. If you have been a Christian for 30 or 40 years, there is, not, there is no less love in God now for you than it was 30 years ago when you asked Christ into your life. No matter with all your failures, with all your disappointments, God's love remains as God's love is perfect. I pray that the Spirit of God will, will open your understanding, our understanding to this. Having loved his own, he loved them completely so that in my, my deepest sense of failure, I can be succored by the love of God because God's love never increases, decreases. It is as it has always been. And the love which rescued me 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, is the love which rescued me then. Perfect love. But I want you to see how extraordinary this love is. Not only its energy, because it's a living thing. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Now I want you to see this extraordinary love. We love because he first loved us. How much improvement did you make in your life when God, when Jesus died for you? How, how much how much influence you had on God sending his son to the cross? None. We, we, did, we, did not, we, not make, we didn't make ourselves better so that God says, okay, now this one, this one deserves my love. Look at how hard he or she's trying. He deserves it. She deserves it. Listen to, John, to, to, to Paul in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die because we made ourselves better, because we gave more in the offering plate, before we, because we didn't beat our wives, we didn't beat our husbands, we didn't beat our children. No human effort can influence the love of God. There is nothing in us that calls God to take note of me because of what I'm doing. No human action. This love is not found in any other. It is only that love which has come from heaven and all the accusations of the devil who accuses us before day before God day and night all the charges that he brings against us before God you've heard 
the instrumentalist playing, Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus Christ did not come into the world simply to inform us about the love of God, dear friends. Not simply to inform us. Jesus Christ came into the world not only to inform us about the love of God, please listen, but to impart it. To impart it. So that you're looking at a new people now. You're looking at a people who are beginning even here on earth, to display divine love with which they were not born, but because they have been born again. Because that is how this whole love relationship begins with God. Whoever loves is born of God. You've got to be born again if you are going to experience the love of God. If you're going to display the love of God, it cannot be displayed by human effort. Sooner or later, it will run out of energy. I was listening to someone a few Sundays ago, and this person was saying, a good man, a preacher from, from Portland, and he was saying, there will come a time when God's patience will run out. That's not true, friends. I know what he meant. But he, he should have chosen some other word to say. The patience of God never runs out. See, what runs out, my friends, is God's long patience giving you time to repent. As, as 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. So God continues to wait and when God's timing comes to an end, that is the end, but not the patience of God. The timing. My, my mother used to say that to me. Winston, you are trying my patience. And as usual, she didn't have to repeat it. <laughs> You're trying my patience. And I was telling them this morning, I said, you know, one of the, one of the things, my mom used to give us, me especially, what I deserve. And uh, I had to earn my way back to my mother. It was an unusual thing. I had to earn my way back. And I could tell when I have earned my way back to my mom after, I gotten, after I've gotten the, the, the reward for my behavior. And my children still cannot stand me for this. I was telling the class this morning about that. My mother called me a certain name when everything was okay between me and her. But that name was never used when she was angry at me. And she gave me a licking. And I had to earn my way back. And the way I knew that I had arrived is that mom would call me that name. My wife doesn't know what it is. 
My children don't know what it is. And I will go to the grave with it. <laughs> so you won't know either. Remarkable thing. But my friends, I want to suggest to you that God's love doesn't change or cause us to wonder if. Because God's love is unchanging. It is uncaused. It is not influenced by anything you and I do. God's love is God's love. Oh, how he loves you and me. Well, that's the first part of the message as, as we look at the, upon what I call the impenetrableness of God's love. Nothing can affect it. It has energy. It casts out fears. It is not influence. We love because he first loved us. No human love can love like the love of God, not even a mother's love. So we come now to the second part of the message for this morning. And, and, and we want to look at this love that is illustrated. And Jesus used a very interesting story to show us how the love of God comes from heaven into human experience and now causes human beings to love like he does. Turn, if you please, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And this is the illustration of divine love. You know the story very well. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is showing something to those who thought that God's love was partial. That God only responds to those that has gained, have gained favor from him. 1 John 4, 7 says, Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you do not love in this way, you do not know God. That's the text. Divine love trumps human love so that you don't have to work. And Jesus tells the story of what is known as the Good Samaritan. In my research of this text, there's some who believe that this was a true life experience that Jesus was um, talking about, and those who say it was just an illustration, uh, which word I'm using this morning. The story begins this way, that a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I, I, I don't know why I have to think of this. Every time I use that, that description. When the Bible says there was a certain man going down, if you are in Jerusalem, you go down to every place. Every place. If you are outside, if you're coming from Jericho, you're always coming up. Coming up. So it's literally true that Jerusalem is there and all the rest of the world down there. So Jesus said, this man was coming up. Lloyd Ogilvy said this, the road was known by the, 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 the epitaph, Bloody Way. It was called a bloody way. It was 22 miles down. It was precarious. It was a precarious road because of robbers who hid among the rocks 
the crevices and caves. No one was safe who was using that road, which was some 3,000 feet to the, to the bottom. Nobody was safe. Everybody knew the dangers that was to be encountered if you took the bloody way. And this day, Jesus tells about a man who had to perhaps do some business, I don't know. And he was on that road. And the Pharisees now are listening to Jesus. And they want to know, what has this to do with what we have been asking you? Because they're asking, you see, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is using this story to show that the pivotal question is not who is my neighbor, it's whether I am a neighbor. That's what he wants to show. And as the man was on this road, a priest and a Levite passed by. A priest and a Levite. And they went on the other side, each of them. What did they lack of divine love? They lacked sympathy. God's love is sympathetic. God feels when we hurt. God feels when we suffer wrong. And in this text, what we are being told, my friends, if, if you look first at what this man what he met, and don't forget, we'll look at it in a minute, Jews and Samaritans do not have anything in common. The two, if I may put it this way, the two things that separate people from then until now existed between the Jews and the Samaritans, race and religion. Those are the two things that separate people. And so Jesus is telling this story Obviously, the man who's on the ground is a Jew. Two Jews passed by, and they walked on the other side. Every place, every place in the New Testament where we're told about the word compassion, it is always used of Jesus. Always. When he saw him, he felt compassion. That, that, is, that is God's love. To see someone whom you know hates you because of who you are and you can love him. When he saw him, the, 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 the word to feel compassion is an interesting word because our English word is that he, fell, he felt in his bowels. He fell from the inside. He was genuine. He was real. And when, when, when he saw that man, just as Jesus felt in heaven for that man, that man felt on earth for that man. My friends, this is what you and I are called to do. We are called to live with sympathetic love so that when we see people, Christians or non-Christians, we are careful not to go on the other side. It's especially true. This past week, there was a breakup of relationship between some Christian leaders. And, and as, I, as I read that, you know what I asked myself? 
Now, some of these Christian leaders see those with whom they have had a falling out. If they go to the shopping mall and they see one of their friends coming up from the north side, will they go on the south side? See, human love says, I'm going to choose who I'm going to love. I'm not going to have any feelings for anyone who's different from me with whom I've had a falling out. I'm going to go on the other side. Jesus never, never did that. Religion will separate people. Christianity will unite people. And here Jesus said, when this man saw this man, he felt. You know why he felt? Because the love of God was in him. In him. It was something that they had experienced. They had been born of God. Whoever loves is born of God. So that if I am a believer, oh God, help us to see this. If I'm a believer, I never go across the other side when I see a brother or a sister, whatever differences we may have, I never go on the other side because the love of God never does that. Never does that. So sympathy, sympathetic love, the love that feels from within for another. You remember when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, when he got to the top and he saw the city, what did he do? He wept. He wept. And my friends, if there's a brother or a sister in this congregation or any other congregation that I have to walk across the other side, I better get on my face and weep because the love of God in me will constrain me to show sympathy. Secondly, the second evidence of God's love is selflessness. Selflessness. Verse 34 of Luke 10. Verse 34. Please listen. As you read it, you almost need... No commentary in it. And he came to him. He saw him. He came to him. I am moving towards you because I'm constrained by the love of Christ to do so. This is how he would do it. He would never walk across the other side. He didn't go to a different well because the woman at the well was there. He didn't go to a different Man, because Nicodemus came to him. The text says, and he saw him, he felt compassion, and he came to him. Look at, look at his actions now. And he bandaged up the wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. I love this. And he put him on his own beast. <laughs> you know what that is saying? Imagine... imagine Imagine all the Jews and the Samaritans looking at this, this obstacle. A Samaritan putting a Jew on his horse and the Samaritan is walking. This picture is, is, is not ordinary. It's extraordinary. Uh, you know, I couldn't help but think, and it, it's the, the classic example for me. My wife knows who Ernie is. Um, Ernie called me one evening and 
I could tell by his voice that he was, he was in trouble. Ernie was a drug addict. And I was trying to help Ernie to get some help. And he had to be clean for that weekend before he would go to this place of rehab. But he got very stoned. Oh, my word, he got stoned. When I went to his apartment, I got all the needles. And I thought, my word, I had to bury them so that no one would ever get to them. But he was in this place, and he called me. And he said, Winston, I need help. No, I'm telling you this story because, not because I did it, but because of what my experience was. <laughs> At that time, I had one of the two new cars I bought in my entire life. It was one of these wonderful, wonderful cars that talks. Your door is ajar. <laughs> Your fuel is low. I, I had an accident. A kid, a, a man run, going to get his, uh, his, um, his wife from work. The snow was falling in Toronto. And I was coming, and he was coming, and he, was, he must have been afraid of his wife because he was speeding on the snow like no one was, and he ran right into my car and hit, hit us. So we had to wait for the police to come. And so I, I said to his car, smashed in the front, the motor was off, and it was snowing. And I said, why didn't you get in my car while we wait for the police to come? So, this is a different car, by the way. I'm just telling you the story about the, the talking car. Well, I guess it's the same car. <laughs> the kid said, as the door was open, the voice said, your rear left door is open. And the kid opened his eyes. He said, cool. You think cool is a new word, don't you? Yeah. They're using it back there. He just thought, a talking car? Man, so this was my brand new car. And I got, I got in the car, and I went to where Ernie told me he was, a place I would never go, even with a gun to my head. And I walked in there, and I went to the fellow who was the bartender in the place, and I said, I'm looking for, I told him, and he knew Ernie, and he said, he's right over there, and I got him. Now I said, Ernie, you're, you're, I'm going to take you somewhere. Didn't know where I was going to take him at the time. <laughs> and so I was putting him in my car. Here's, here's the point of my story. He was stoned, and I thought, oh, good night. What if he vomits in my car? <laughs> I, it, it did. It did. I, I almost got a taxi for him. No, I said, Winston, God gave you that car, and you're going to use that car for God's glory. And I put him in, my, in, in the car, and I took him to where I was taking him and cared for him. My friends, there are times when God's love is going to ask you to do something that is unnatural to you, but because of the love of God in you, you can do it. Only the love of God caused me to do that. I would never have done it otherwise. I valued my car too much. Smell that stuff in there. Look at what he did. 
He put oil and wine in his, in his room. He bandaged them up. And then he put him and on his, or if you please, put him in his car. Put him in his car. Let me ask a question. Because my friends, we could hear this this morning. And it could just go one in one ear and out the next. Are you willing to allow God's love to challenge you with the impossibility of serving someone whom you think do not deserve it? Ask yourself the question, do I deserve his love? That's the question we should ask. Listen to these three things about this Samaritan. He was willing to risk coming to the man. You know why? Because, my friends, he didn't know if the robbers were still around when they heard him coming. Would he be the next victim? But love is willing to risk. Love is willing to say, I don't know what the outcome will, come, will be, but I know what I am supposed to do. So he was willing to risk. He didn't know if those who wounded the man would still be around and would wound him. Secondly, he didn't know whether this Jew would accept help from a Samaritan. After all, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And if I, you know, in that day, if a Jew had to go through Samaria, they were afraid of being contaminated by even being on the ground where they walk. And they would go around a hundred miles rather than take a shortcut and go through Samaria to where they were going. They hated the Samaritans. And here is a man in whom the love of God had resided. And the risk that he was willing to take was not only that the robbers were still there, but to be rejected by the wounded. Will he accept my service? See, because if you touch a Samaritan, you're unclean. And he was going to touch this man. With that Jew on the ground says, I don't want you to touch me. But the energy of God's love, it cast out fear. It can deal with rejection, if that is part of it. The Samaritan was not afraid to love, because love doesn't seek its own, says the apostle in 1 Corinthians 13. Love never seeks its own. It loves to hate those who hate. Thirdly, Divine love trumps human concern. In other words, God's love is spontaneous. It overcomes the prejudices in others because it has been loved by God itself. And so when all the feelings, as Corrie ten Boone says, all the feelings of being in a concentration camp, and then someone becomes a follower of the Lamb whom I follows, and he puts his hand out to say, Furline, I am your brother now. Can I reach out to him? And Corrie Boone says, I cry to God, God, you must help me to love him. And she says, it just flowed in my life that I was able to love the man who raped my sister. 
thirdly, and in conclusion, God's love is sacrificial. Look at what he did. He went to an inn, and he gave the man two denarius, value about $300 in our currency. Look at what he says. Take care of him. And I'm going to pass back tomorrow. Integrity. Integrity. I am going to pass back tomorrow. And if he has, if he has accrued any kind of account, I will pay it. I will pay it. I loved him when he was on the ground. And I love him while he is recovering from being on the ground. He doesn't have what I have. I have what he needs. And so I can love him. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We're told in Galatians, we're to do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Jesus said to the lawyer after that, and I close with this, go and do likewise. That's what he's saying to you and to me. Go and do likewise. I'll tell you why. Because that kind of love will say to the world, what kind of a love is this? I have never seen or experienced this. They will know that you have seen God and you know God. And that's why you can love like that. Let's pray. The ability of God's love. Oh God, help us to demonstrate it today. We don't know, Lord, if we are going to find someone in the way. Someone who has been wounded by time, by circumstances, whatever it is. But oh God, help us to understand that if that person comes my way, or if I go in their way, I must be spontaneous with the love of God, which the only place we can find that is in Christ alone. We thank you in his name. Amen.